We're continuing our study of heaven. We will continue that study this Wednesday night and the following Sunday. Uh, we will conclude our study and then all of these lessons will be available on tape and CD. And I hope you'll have a chance to get them and share them with friends. A lot of you have said this study has been quite encouraging to you and I'm grateful. And I hope today's lesson will do the same. Because we want to deal with the issue of what will we be doing in heaven. I heard a story of a man who pulled into a rural gas station to fill up and drink a Diet Coke. And as he was drinking his beverage, across the state highway, he saw two men. About 30 feet apart, one was digging a hole. And when he would dig it, the other man would come and pour the dirt back in the hole. While the other guy was digging a new hole. And he watched this for some minutes and couldn't take it anymore. So he walked across the street and said, what are you guys doing? And they said, we're working for the government. Well, you're wasting the taxpayer's money. What do you mean, the guy says. Now, usually the team is three of us, me, Mike, and Joe. I dig the hole. Joe comes and puts a tree in the hole. And then Mike comes and fills up the hole. And Mike says, yeah, and just because Joe is sick, does that mean we're not supposed to work? (laughs) Well, I tell you that story because I think a lot of us feel sometimes about the things that we do a big part of our day that, frankly, they've gotten monotonous, they've gotten routine. Sometimes you might even say it's just boring Some of the saddest words I hear are guys or women who say, it's just a job. And now I want you to be honest with me. Have you ever had those thoughts about heaven? See, I know you have. I've had them too. One of the things I've heard the most in this series is people have come up to me encouraged and said, you're helping me to rethink heaven because I'd never wanted to admit this, but I always thought it would be kind of boring. You know, after your eight millionth verse of holy, 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 what do you do? You see, John Eldridge, the writer of uh, Journey of Desire, says, Every Christian I've ever met has the idea that heaven will be an unending church service. And so a lot of us, our attitude is, well... I'm probably going to be bored in heaven, but that's better than being burned in hell. But today, I hope I can challenge that misconception. What are we going to be doing for eternity, for heaven's sake? Well, this is not just a matter of speculation for theologians. This question has a very practical application for every believer. It really does matter right now how much you are looking forward to heaven. Look with me in 2 Peter chapter 3. The apostle says, Since everything around us is going to melt away, what holy, godly lives you should be living. You should look forward to that day and hurry it along. The day when God will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and new earth he has promised. A world where everyone is right with God. And so, dear friends, 
while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to live a pure and blameless life and be at peace with God. See, Peter's premise is that our anticipation of the future affects our sanctification right now. In other words, our excitement about heaven impacts our commitment to holiness. How much I am looking forward to the new earth determines how godly I will live right now on the old earth. Now, could this be one of the reasons why Satan promotes the lie that heaven is going to be boring? Because if you can't get excited about heaven, you'll find something else to get excited about and possibly make a very poor choice when you do. See, it's hard to get excited about an eternity of playing harps and polishing halos. But the heaven described in the Bible, folks, is not chubby angels and fluffy clouds and chamber music and endless church. If heaven was just a never-ending song service, then much of what God made us to be will be wasted. Heaven's not going to be a place of endless passivity. It's going to be a place of energetic activity. Imagine if you lived most of your life confined to a bed. If you were an invalid. If you were a paraplegic. And all you ever heard about heaven was, well, we're going to get up on a cloud and lounge around. Would that inspire you to holy living? See, I think part of the misperception is fueled by the confusion about the Bible saying heaven is going to be a place of rest, an eternal Sabbath. The Hebrew writer compares heaven to the Sabbath. In chapter 4, he says, for example, For this good news that God has prepared a place of rest has been announced to us just as it was to them. So, there is a special rest waiting for the people of God. And so what we often hear is, well, heaven is a place of rest. That means heaven is a place of doing nothing. Now think through that a second. Did Jesus do nothing on the Sabbath? Did he not teach and heal and go to parties? And in the Old Testament, when the children of Israel entered the promised land in the book of Joshua, and, and Joshua says, God has given you rest. Was there nothing left to do? Did they not have fields to plant and farms to tend and animals to care for and houses to construct and cities to build and roads to make? Rest doesn't mean a lack of activity or labor. It means no more frustrating and meaningless activity and labor. In the next life, you and I are going to have a lot to do for heaven's sake. Let me show with you three, at least four things I know we're going to do. One, we will engage in totally unhindered worship. 
Now, everything we do in heaven will be for the glory of God. So in one sense, all of our activities will partake of the nature of worship. But there will be times of focused and fervent praise of a nature we've never yet experienced. As good as our worship was, the first part of this assembly, you amp that up by a thousand times exponentially and you'll get a glimpse of what worship is going to be like in heaven. We get a glimpse in Revelation chapter 7. John says, after this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white and held palm branches in their hands. And they were shouting with a mighty shout, salvation comes from our God on the throne and from the Lamb. And all the angels, now, let your mind wrap around that. There's more angels than you can count. All the angels. We're standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living beings. And they fell face down before the throne and worshiped God. They said, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength belong to our God forever and ever. Amen. Now, that's what I call church. We don't do church like that. Because we're afraid to. We really are. All our lives, when we worship, we have dealt with our fears and our inhibitions and our traditions and our thoughts about what somebody else is thinking right now. It's like my friend Eddie Sharp tells me one time, he preaches in Abilene, that after a sermon, sweet little lady came up to Eddie and said, Eddie, that sermon was so good, it was all I could do to keep from saying amen. We train ourselves how to hold back when we worship, not to let go. You're not going to worry about that in heaven. In heaven, when you worship, you're not going to worry about whether you look like a fanatic because the person next to you is going to look like a fanatic too. And you're going to worship God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. And I can't wait. I cannot wait to hear angels sing. I can't wait to be a part of a multicultural chorus of every age that's ever existed. I can't wait to learn new praise music. Now, I know some of you don't like new praise songs. I got bad news. Heaven's going to be full of it. Do you really believe for eternity we're going to sing the, seven, the same 700 songs in a book? We're going to be writing new praise music all through eternity to God. And it'll never get old. Because God will never cease to be fascinating. God's never going to bore you. You're never going to lose your wonder of being in the presence of uncreated holiness. And you're never going to lose your gratitude over the fact that you are now created righteous and able to stand before God. You are never going to lose the wonder of how beautiful God has made you. Stephen Brown tells a story of a fellow in England on vacation in France and his Rolls Royce broke down in a remote part of southern France. So he called the dealership. They flew a mechanic the very next day To fix that car and get him on his way for his vacation. Well, some months passed by and he never got a bill. 
And so he wrote to the company thanking them for quickly dealing with his problem and said, when will I get a bill? And he got a letter back from Rolls-Royce and it said, sir, we have no record of any Rolls-Royce ever having a mechanical problem. And that's how it's going to be in heaven. There's not going to be any record of all the garbage that you bring with you to keep you from worshiping. When they pulled that big statue of Saddam Hussein down, one of the commentators said the Iraqis are not used to this because for years they have lived under a policy of compulsory adulation where you were forced to give honor to the king or be punished. Heaven needs no policy of compulsory adulation. When the call across the new earth goes out, it's time to meet around the throne for worship of God. Everybody is going to be excited. And nobody is going to wonder, well, I hope it doesn't last too long. Because we are going to engage in totally unhindered worship. Next, I know that we will enlarge our knowledge and awe of God when we get to heaven. Heaven will be a place of endless and enjoyable learning. And that's because the subject will be God. Douglas MacArthur, the great general, says when he went to West Point, in one of his classes, he had to read a text about time-space theory, what would eventually become Einstein's theory of relativity. He said, I had no clue what I was reading. And so what I did is I memorized the chapter. And when the professor called on me to explain the text, I stood up and almost word for word recited the pages. And then the professor looked at me and said, MacArthur, do you have a clue what you are talking about? And MacArthur said, no, sir. And the professor said, neither do I, section dismissed. There are some subjects that are just so big, you can't ever wrap your mind around them. Is anything bigger than God? Now remember, folks, only God is infinite. Now, we will live eternally because His life will be poured into us. But only God is infinite in and of Himself. Now, what does that mean? What that means is God is beyond ever completely knowing. There's always more of Him. Now, we will know him accurately with our renewed minds. We will never know him exhaustively. Now, that doesn't mean we're not going to be perfect. I'm not saying that we're going to grow toward perfection. I'm saying we're going to grow in perfection. You can be flawless and not know everything. The angels didn't. The angels were sinless and righteous. And the Bible says they didn't know everything God was up to. When you get to heaven, you're not going to be um. You're going to be ever learning more and more about God. There's an old song we sometimes sing called Farther Along. And in the chorus it says, we'll understand it all by and by. No, we won't. 
That song is bad theology. It's not very good hymnody either, but it's very bad theology. The Bible says, Ephesians 2, 6 and 7, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Now watch this. In order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. We're going to spend eternity having God reveal to us His unsearchable, incomparable grace. And learning is going to be fun. Now, sometimes learning is not fun right now because we live in a flawed world. My memory is flawed. I study and study something, and then I forget it. My patience is flawed, and I get tired of studying. But that's not how it's going to be in heaven. Our memories are going to be good. Our, our, our patience is going to be perfect. And there's going to be so much to study. All of God's work is throughout history. All he was up to, we didn't have a clue about, we're going to learn about. And think of all the peoples and all the cultures throughout all of history that we're going to learn about. Think about the angelic realm and all there's going to be to learn about that. Think about the new heaven and the new heavens and the new earth and all the exploration we're going to get to do. And all of it is going to reveal the glory of God. But the thing that will give us our greatest joy We'll just be learning about Him. God's infinite. There always will be more of God to learn. And do you really think God will ever be boring? No wonder there's going to be so many new praise songs to write. We're always going to be learning something else about God and having to write more songs to talk about that. Let me tell you what else we're going to do in heaven. We will enter into meaningful kingdom service. Do you realize that you are currently in training for your eternal career? See, God is not just preparing a place for us. God is preparing us For a place. Heaven is not eternal retirement. Heaven is the start of your real job. Right now, you're just in Votech school. Jesus said in Luke 16, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, well, who's going to trust you with true riches? In other words, one reason stewardship is so important, folks, God is saying, if I can't trust you with earthly responsibility, how can I trust you with eternal responsibility? You're in training for your eternal career. Heaven's going to be a meeting place of perfect work and perfect rest. Remember, rest is not freedom from activity. It's freedom from meaningless activity, from exhausting activity, from fearful, anxious activity. In heaven, our work is going to seem like play because we're going to love it so much. Because it's going to be for Jesus. Andrew Duff was a preacher in England in the late 1700s. He was collecting money for missions. 
And, and one friend said, Andrew, seeing that it's for you, I'll give you five pounds. And Andrew said, well, if it's for me, I can't take it. And the friend understood and said, you're right, Andrew. Seeing that it's for Jesus, I'll give you 10 pounds. Well, see, it's all going to be for Jesus. We're never in our lives going to work so purely as we will the first day on the job in heaven. And what I believe is that our different assignments are going to correspond to our different giftings. We're not going to be clones in heaven. Some of you are going to be commissioned to produce great works of art on the new earth. Some of you are going to prepare food because we're doing lots of eating in the next life. Some of you are going to take care of the new earth and some of you are going to take care of the animals. There's going to be a lot of neat jobs in the next life. But most of all, we're going to be in management. Jesus said in the parable of the talents, Matthew 25, 21, his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. When the master comes back, he's going to determine how faithful you were with the gifts you were given. And then you're going to enter into his happiness with, a, with according responsibility. Look at the same story in Luke 19. Well done, my good servant, his master replied. Now, because you've been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. That's not figurative language, folks. God is preparing many of us for positions of great authority in the new earth. See, ruling the universe is the family business. Now, for some time that rule was contested. But when Jesus comes back and the devil and his angels are thrown in the lake of fire... Jesus is going to enjoy eternally uncontested rule. And he's made the decision, I'm going to delegate... My rule to my co-heirs. The Bible is full of this talk. Revelation 22, 5. There will be no more night. They'll not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light. And they will reign forever and ever. One of the early hymns of the Christians in 2 Timothy 2 was this. Here's a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we'll also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. You know what God's going to do is he's going to restore what we were created for in the beginning. When he made the man, he said, I've placed you in a perfect earth. I want you to have dominion over it. We forfeited our dominion. We sinned. We let Satan become the prince of the earth. God is going to give us our old jobs back. And we were created to be rulers managers and caretakers of God's universe and that's what we're going to do and I want to tell you something work will never be monotonous or boring or meaningless again and one last thing we will enjoy eternally fulfilling fellowship Remember, we're made in the image of God, who is himself a community, three in one. We are by nature communal beings. We need fellowship. And in heaven, 
we are going to experience fellowship like we have never known it. The closest we get to it on earth is when the church acts like it's supposed to act. But in heaven, we're finally going to understand fellowship. Now, I want you to imagine, this is going to be hard, because I'm going to talk about something we've never experienced. I want you to imagine fellowship with no pretense. Where you don't walk up to a single person and wonder what they're thinking about you. And they're not wondering what you're thinking about them. Where there's no insecurity. Where there's no judgment of anybody. There's no arrogance. There's no communication barrier. There's no discrimination. That doesn't mean we're all going to be alike in heaven. There's going to be diversity in heaven. A black man doesn't become a white man when he goes to heaven. A Gentile doesn't become a Jew. There's going to be all the cultures and all the tribes and all the nations. But there's not going to be all of the fallen judgments about differences that mar this world. The Bible says in Revelation 21, all the nations will bring in their glory and honor to the city. In 1984, President Reagan was at the opening ceremonies of the Olympics. When he got back to the White House, his daughter Maureen asked him what he liked most. He said, you know, when they all came in the stadium, the Germans came in behind their flag and they all looked like Germans. And the Chinese came in behind their flag and they all looked Chinese. And the African nations came in, they all looked like Africans. But then came in the flag of the United States. And it looked like the whole world. And that's going to be heaven. All the beautiful diversity, all the differences that God has created, all under the banner of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that kind of fellowship, folks, ought to motivate us. By the way, I just got to tell you, I think God has a sense of humor. And I think at the wedding feast, there's going to be some interesting seating arrangements. And some of you that had most of, have had a big problem thinking that people like that are ever going to get to heaven, that's who you're going to sit by for the first few hundred thousand years. But the Bible says knowing the kind of fellowship God has planned for us ought to motivate us. Luke 16, 9, I tell you, make friends for yourselves using worldly riches. So that when those riches are gone, you will be welcomed in those homes that continue forever. You're going to have a home in heaven. Jesus said there's lots of rooms in the Father's house. Live now so the people welcome you into their homes. Think of all the homes. All the parties. All the laughing and the dancing and the new friend making, you're going to be doing in heaven. You're going to get invited to a party of somebody that lived 800 years ago. Come by my house. And oh, by the way, Jesus said he would drop by. And everybody's going to love you. I can't fathom that. I have never lived a day of my life where everybody loved me. 
I guarantee you there are people right now that don't love me. Some people don't love me because of the color of my skin. Some people don't love me because I'm an American. Some people don't love me because I'm a Christian. Some Christians don't love me because I don't believe everything just like they do when we read the Bible. But in heaven, everybody is going to love me. Paul said it. There's three things better than everything else. Faith, hope, and love. But love's the best. You know why? Because when we get to heaven, faith will become sight. When we get to heaven, hope will become the eternal now. But love. Love will never be obsolete. And we will never be bored with love. Doesn't this sound like a life you ought to look forward to? So let me ask you a question. Why wait to pursue what you were made to do? I mean, if you're made eternally for worship, why not grow right now in worshiping? If you're made eternally to learn about God, why not start learning now? If you're made forever... To serve God. Start today. If you're made forever to fellowship and love people. Why wait? Zig Ziglar tells a story about an economics professor that gave an exam. And the test was kind of interesting because it had... Hard questions worth quite a few points. Not so hard questions worth fewer points. And easy questions worth just a few points. But you could pick the number of questions you wanted to answer to add up to the score you wanted. When he gave the test back, everybody that chose the hard questions got an A. Everyone that chose the next hardest group of questions got a B. And every student that chose the easy questions got a C, even though their answers might have been perfectly correct. This confused the students. Why did you grade the way you graded? And the professor said, I wasn't measuring your knowledge. I was measuring your aim. Well, so was God. God is testing your aim. And it might be worth pondering. What impression are unbelievers getting about heaven by observing your aim and what you're pursuing? Loved ones, my counsel is to live forward for heaven's sake. Let's bow our heads. Oh God, I'm thankful that we have glimpses of the next world to talk about. And yet I know, I know as soon as we spend that first moment in heaven, we'll realize all of our, all of our thoughts and glimpses were inadequate. We're talking about things so far beyond what we can comprehend. But God, it's better to talk about it at all than not to talk. Because for years we haven't thought, we haven't talked, we haven't pondered. 
And it's shown up in our lack of commitment to godliness. We pray, God, that we will become so excited about heaven that it will impact the choices we make right now. That we will look forward and we will live forward. We pray that our lives will preach a sermon the unbeliever cannot ignore about our hope of our next home. And we pray that we will preach well. So God, help us to live for heaven's sake. In Jesus' name, amen. We were made for higher ground. We were made to aim for more than we have now. Elders and ministers are going to be in room 109 to pray with people. If anyone's ready to be baptized, come down to the front while we stand up and sing.